Well, I want to welcome all of you that watch every week online, literally from around the world. If you ever get to Tarrant County, come visit the hills at the North Richmond Hills campus, West Fort Worth campus, or South Lake campus. And if you do, you may see some signage that says plus 3K. The early church added 3,000 people in one day. We believe God can add 3,000 people to our church in the next several years. And that's what that means. And as we think about the 3,000, one way we're keeping that in our hearts is throughout the year we have what we call 3,000 offerings. We had our first last weekend. After our regular tithes and offerings were collected, I asked everyone to put $1 for every person in the room in the plate. And every campus responded phenomenally. We collected more than $3,000, and we promised that we would use that money to help someone in need and that we would tell you the next week what we did. So here's the story. We have a single mom in our church that just three years ago worked in the adult entertainment industry, and God pursued her, rescued her from that. She's now a part of our church. She knows the Lord. She's walking with Jesus, and she's got a job now and kids to support, but uh, she doesn't have a car or a driver's license. And she had a chance to get a promotion in her job, but it would require transportation that she did not have. But that's not a problem anymore, because we took the money you gave, and she now has a driver's license and a new, very fine used car that's totally going to change her prospects for her future. And that's because of your generosity, and I wanted to say thank you for that. And we had some money left over, so there was another single mom in our church that, because of some poor financial management in the past, has had trouble finding a secure living arrangement, and she was about to be uh, spending the night in the car with her kids. But she doesn't have to worry about that right now. We were able to secure some short-term housing for her as we work on a long-term solution. And all of that, again, was because you were generous. So thank you so much. We're going to do this again later in the summer. And if you would like to volunteer someone to be helped, you can go to our website, thehills.org, backslash 3K offering, and there's a form you can fill out, and we can go from there. So thank you. Thank you also for the incredible feedback I've gotten to the series, especially our community groups. You're downloading the questions and you're processing what we're teaching together. And it's been a great blessing and I'm grateful for the feedback. Because what we're asking is how can we live in a culture that does not hold our values without holding our neighbors in contempt? There's got to be a better way to live in Babylon. And as our culture increasingly ignores and even becomes hostile to the things of God, how can we, like Daniel, hold on to our faith while still being a blessing to our culture? And we've called it the search for life hacks. And life hacks are simply winsome, creative ways to solve a problem you deal with every day. So every week I've been giving you examples of life hacks, and because it's wedding season, I thought I might go that direction today. So first, for the ladies, if you're planning a wedding, I've got some suggestions. For example, if you do an outdoor wedding, it's going to be hot, especially all of us in our coats and our ties. So here's what you do. You just take that order of service, put it on a stick, and give us a fan, and everybody's happy. That's a wedding life hack. Or, this is for the dads because weddings are expensive. 
you have that awkward time between the bride and groom getting pictures made and everyone waiting for the food to begin. And people need refreshments. And it's expensive. So here's what you do. Just go to Costco. Get some real cheap water bottles. Get some fancy duct tape. Put the duct tape around the bottle. It looks like a customized water bottle. And you've got an inexpensive wedding life hack. But here's my favorite. Because ladies, let's be honest. He is going to forget your anniversary. And that's going to make you mad. So to prevent that, you're going to remind him that it's the anniversary, and that's going to make you mad. Here's a better plan. Here's what you do. You buy him a wedding ring that has a place inside for a battery, and you can program the date, and 24 hours before that date, that ring starts to get hot. (laughs) And he is reminded, oh yeah, something important's coming up. The only way this could be better is if it came with a watch that had your birthday and Valentine's on it too, okay? That's an awesome wedding life hack. Now, that's for the women, now for the guys. Because you see, sometimes life hacks aren't just deeds. Sometimes they're words that help you survive. So, you're engaged, and she takes you looking for China. And she's going to show you a bunch of patterns, and she's going to say, which one do you like? Now, you could say, I don't care. That is a big mistake. You could also make a mistake of telling her which one you like. She doesn't want to know which one you like. (laughs) So if you're smart, you will say, I can't make up my mind. Which one do you like? And she will tell you and you will lean in and say, that's how I was feeling. And you have a verbal life hack. (laughs) Or just after you get married, you're going to come home and you could say, why isn't dinner ready? Oh, that's a rookie mistake. (laughs) You could say, can I help you get dinner ready? That would be better. But if you're really smart, you'll say, honey, where would you like me to take you for dinner? That's a verbal life hack. And this last one's the most important. After several years and two or three small kids, you're going to come home from work and the house is going to be a wreck. And you could say, what did you do all day? Oh, no, 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 no. You could say, I hope you didn't overdo it today. But if you're really smart, you will say, honey, I always thought you looked great in that robe. That is a verbal life hack. Because if you're going to survive Babylon, you need deeds and words. Because there's going to come a time when a good stump speech would really be useful. And that leads us into Daniel chapter 4. But first, some context. Because it's interesting to me how all through this book, God has been pursuing King Neb. In chapter 1, Neb noticed that the Jewish young men who stayed faithful to the dietary laws of their God were the best in his court. In chapter 2, he acknowledged it was the God of Daniel that was able to interpret his dream. In chapter 3, after the three Hebrew boys escaped the fire, he said to everyone, there's no other God that can save like their God saves. Neb has been flirting with the true God, but he has not surrendered, which makes the start of chapter 4 even more surprising. It reads like this, King Neb To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. 
How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Is Neb saying that? Neb who wanted his kingdom to endure from generation to generation? What's Neb doing writing a chapter in the Bible? Simple. When God changes your life, you need to let as many people as possible know. See, God has been pursuing Neb. But there has been a great obstacle keeping Neb in bondage. The single greatest obstacle to salvation. And it's called pride. You see, high on the list of things Neb most needed to know was that he was not most high. There's many titles for God in the Bible. One of my favorites is Most High. And six times in this chapter, God is called the Most High. Did you know that is the title for God the demons use more than any other? It's the title they give to God. They would come up to Jesus and say, we know who you are, son of the Most High. And the reason the demons would give Jesus that title was because that's the title Satan wanted to take. So there's this prophecy in the book of Isaiah. And it's aimed at a real person, a man, a king. But behind him, there's another person the prophecy is aimed at, Satan himself. And it describes the fall of Lucifer. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Satan was banished from heaven because he wanted to be Most High. And his fall is directly related to the fall of all of us. What was the big lie in the garden? You can be like God. Now remember, I said that prophecy was aimed first at a man. You know who it was? Earlier in the chapter, it was aimed at the king of Babylon. And who was the most famous? Who was the most powerful? Who was the king that reigned longer than any other in Babylon? It was Neb. And what Neb most needed to learn was that he's not the most high. You see, pride is so much deeper than just bragging or boasting. There are people filled with pride who will hardly ever say a word about themselves. Because deeper than that is the idea that pride is living your life ignoring God. Not thinking about God. Living as if He doesn't exist or if He does, He just doesn't matter. And you go hours and you go days and you just never think about God. 
And you can ignore God. But God's not going to ignore you. And Neb is about to experience the severe mercy of God. And it all began with a dream come true. So Neb continues. I, Neb, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. And I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream. But they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence. And I told him the dream. Well, he should have gone to Daniel first. We've been here before. And so Neb says, Daniel, you did it once. Maybe you can do it again. I've got this dream. I don't think it's just bad Mexican food. I I think this is a message from the heavens. And in my dream, there's this giant tree. And it reaches up to the sky. And it's so huge, you can see it from anywhere in the earth. In fact, it's a blessing to the whole earth. It covers the earth. It feeds the earth. It gives shade to all the creatures of the earth. But then this voice from heaven says, cut down the tree until it's a stump. And then the metaphor changes from a thing to a person. And, and the dream says, let him be drenched with dew. And have the mind of a beast and live with the animals until seven times passes. And he acknowledges that the Most High is sovereign. And Neb says, Daniel, I have no clue what this dream means and Daniel's face got white you see Neb was troubled because he didn't know what the dream meant and Daniel was troubled because he knew exactly what the dream meant so then Daniel who's also called Belteshazzar that's his Babylonian name was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him and so the king said Belteshazzar do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you but the Shazar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Isn't that amazing? That he is still so kind and respectful to a man for whom he could justify contempt. I'll say it again. Daniel served God in Babylon and he served God. Babylon for God. He did not hold in contempt people who did not hold his values. He cares for Neb. And he knows that what is best for Neb is to hear what some would say is not best for Daniel to say you've heard the expression you to man Daniel looked at Neb and said you to tree and you're about to be stumped and every jaw dropped as for the next few seconds Daniel spoke to the king like no one had ever spoken to him before Seven times, most scholars think that means years, 
will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Now, listen close. Because Daniel is about to tell the king what no one has ever had the courage to tell him. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. In other words, king, this dream doesn't have to come true, but you are going to have to make some big changes. And it starts with renouncing your sins. You see, it is a dodge to tell people what's true, but then never exhort them to do something about it. And so Daniel doesn't just stick to general revelation. He makes specific application. Neb, you think too much of yourself. And you don't think enough of the people on whose backs you have built this empire. And that needs to stop. You need to humble yourself before God. And you, not, you need to start being kind to the people in your kingdom that you're oppressing. And everybody got quiet. Because you know Neb. He can overreact. No one would have been shocked if he had said, execute that man. But what's happening? That dream was God's gracious call for Neb to repent. But it's unbelievably foolish to think God is bluffing. God doesn't bluff. And everything hinges on what kind of soil is in Neb's heart. And you know, I think he listened. I think what Daniel said stunned him. And he gave it some thought. But it didn't take root. And so, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. You see, God's plan A was to get Neb to surrender through the preaching of Daniel. But God always has a plan B. Just ask Jonah. If God can't get your heart through plan A, he'll go to plan B. And even as Neb is boasting, even as he stands on that roof and says, that impressive city just goes to show how impressive I am. If you listen close, you could hear the sound of a chainsaw in heaven. It says, even as the words were on his lips... A voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Neb. Your royal authority has been taken from you. 
You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Neb was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And in a moment, this man who thought he was above everybody became lower than the lowest person in his kingdom. And you read that and you think, Neb must have gone crazy. Wrong. Neb was already crazy. You see, all God did was remove the constraints to reveal that Neb was already spiritually insane. When you ignore God, when you think that your world is dependent on your strength and your wisdom and your ingenuity, you are crazy. And it was a severe mercy. Because Neb needed most to know he's not the most high. Isn't it interesting? A man who thought he was a god had to become a beast to learn how to become a man. But like the prodigal, he came to his senses. And after three chapters of flirting with God, Neb finally surrendered. Listen to him tell it in his own words. At the end of that time, I, Neb, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion, not mine, is an eternal dominion. His kingdom, not mine, endures from generation to generation. He's able to think clearly and he praises God because he can. And isn't it amazing? Here is the most powerful man in the world, the most famous man in the world, for once the most proud man in the world, and he sends out a letter to the whole world to let everybody know about the most humiliating experience of his life. But I think Neb would say, the worst thing that ever happened to me was the best thing that ever happened to me. You see, one clue that you're winning the struggle against pride is that you can tell somebody else your story and you don't have to embellish it to impress them and you don't have to cover up the hard places because what you want to do most is give glory to the Most High. And so it says... At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. 
I was restored to my throne and became greater even than I was before. Now I, Neb, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything He does is right and all His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. You see, sometimes God has to cut down a tree in order to save it. And I think Neb was saved. I think we're going to meet Neb in heaven. And you know, God hasn't changed. God is still pursuing the Nebs of the world. And so the question then is how can we be like Daniel and join God in saving the nebs of our generation? Remember, it takes deeds and words. So let's start with words. First life hack is that we've got to speak the truth in love. You see, the problem in Babylon is not so much that people are mean or wicked, but people are proud. Now, again, I'm not talking about they go around boasting and bragging. I'm saying that when you live a life that is God-less, you have to become prideful. If you ignore God and His hand in your life, you have no other way to interpret your life except that it depends on your might and your wisdom and your strength. And you become full of yourself. And you need a Daniel in your life to help restore your sanity. When Muhammad Ali was the greatest boxer in the world, he got on an airplane And the flight attendant asked him to buckle up. He said, Superman, don't need no seatbelt. And she replied, Superman, don't need no airplane. You need to buckle up. (laughs) And we all need someone who will speak some truth to us. Now, can I get real honest? Most of you love God's truth. That's why you're here. But some of you love truth more than you love Babylonians. You don't speak the truth in love. You specialize in drive-by rants and confrontations. And by the way, I'm still waiting to meet the first person who says, you know, I was on social media and I saw some Christian blasting the whole world and I fell on my knees and I accepted Christ. The reason we speak truth is not to prove that we're right. It's to help someone else get right with God. We must speak the truth in love. But love is superficial if it's afraid to tell the truth. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is give somebody a stump speech. Most of you recognize this face. Denzel Washington is one of the most popular and well-known actors in the world. And recently he was promoting a movie, and he was being interviewed, and he was asked, what's it like to be 
such a famous movie star. And he talked about an experience where he had gone home to see his mother. And he said, I was kind of full of myself. And I said, Mama, did you ever think all this was going to happen? And she looked at him and she said, Son, you have no idea how many people were praying for you when you were being a knucklehead. Now go wash my windows. And you know what? It's an awesome thing when you have a mama that loves you enough to tell you the truth. Or when you have a pastor or when you have a friend who loves you enough to tell you what you most need to know. That you're not the most high. Daniel gave a hard word to a man with a hard heart. And it had to be hard to know that for years it never bore fruit. It was years before the seed bore fruit. But I'll say it again. You love people most when you tell them the truth about the most high. One of my favorite verses in Isaiah is this. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. It is good news that God is on the throne. We make terrible sovereigns. Every time we think we can rule our lives, we mess up and make it worse. It is good news. And it's beautiful when someone has the courage to say God reigns. Words matter in Babylon. But so do deeds. And so here's life hack number two. Even as you speak the truth in love, back it up by letting people know that you seek a kingdom that will not make you crazy. See, here's the thing about Babylon. And it's why Babylon is so hard to live in. Insanity is normal. Babylon does crazy. And they think it's normal. And it's so easy to get seduced into the crazy life. Anybody here ever been to Molossia? Probably not. Molossia is actually a micro nation. It's 1.3 acres in Nevada, owned by a guy named Kevin Baugh, who has declared himself the king of Molossia. He likes to be referred as High Excellency. To go to his kingdom, you have to bring your passport. He has asked the White House to be uh, recognized as an official nation, hadn't got heard back. He doesn't pay taxes, but every spring he does send Washington some foreign aid. And he's declared war on East Germany. He calls Molossia the kingdom of me. Now here's the thing. He knows it's a joke. Most Babylonians don't. Most Babylonians live under the crazy idea that they can be the rulers of their own kingdoms. There's a little neb in all of us. So I'm going to ask you a real hard question. Where's your rooftop? Where's that place you're going to be next week where you can go hours and days and never even think of God? If we're going to survive in Babylon, we have to be intentionally on guard against eccentricity. 
That's an interesting word. What does it mean to be eccentric? It doesn't mean to be crazy. It means to be off-center. To be eccentric means you're revolving around something that isn't centered. You ever notice in Revelation the throne of God is right in the center? And the reason heaven is heaven is because everything is centered on God. Everything's in balance. Everything's like it's supposed to be because everything is centered. That's why you have trouble sleeping at night. That's why you get in so many arguments and fights. That's why you think your net worth determines your self-worth. That's why you always need somebody else to tell you you're okay. It's crazy when we think that we're the center. That's why Jesus' favorite sermon was this one. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent was not a rebuke. It was an invitation. You weren't made to be the center. Get off the crazy train. And honor the Most High. Neb was never more sane than when he began to build a kingdom that was bigger than his own. And isn't it interesting? Out of all the things he did and all the things he built, the only thing left of his life is his testimony. And if Neb was standing here right now, he would say, Stop the insanity. Get off the crazy train. Don't be a knucklehead. Don't get stumped. And so, as a way of letting that truth just kind of bore a little deeper into our hearts, I thought we might do something tangible this morning to acknowledge the Most High. Everybody, stand up, please. Please hold up your right hand and repeat after me. I hereby resign my right to the throne, a right that was never really mine in the first place. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, I no longer think I should run the universe. Okay? Because, here's a very important truth. The universe can only have one ruler. And here's another very important truth. Your heart can only have one ruler. The thing different is to think crazy. And what we need most in an insane world is to start every day acknowledging the Most High. Like David. 
I cry out to God Most High, to God who will fulfill His purpose for me. Let's do that right now. Bow your head. I'm going to let you start the prayer. I want you to acknowledge God as Most High. And if you have courage, why don't you confess to God your rooftop, the place where you struggle most to remember God? Oh God, deliver us from crazy. Bring us to sanity. Bring us to Jesus. Amen. We're going to offer three gifts. If you're on the response team, would you take your place? We're going to offer the gift of prayer. We're going to offer the gift of encouragement and counsel. And we're going to offer the gift of baptism. Do you know baptism is literally a tangible way of saying, Jesus is Lord. I surrender. That's why we gather every week. That's why we worship. We surrender again. And that's what we're going to do right now. I hope you'll come.